AT&T thanks you for traveling with us. At AT&T, we are dedicated to... We're making memories at the movies. We're true. Just make believe you're a tiny little show. Tiny little show that's reaching up to start to grow with the right amount of fans and the right amount of love. You'll grow to see the sunshine up above. Let's listen to the Lou we all know. WDW radio show. Listen to the Lou. Listen to the Lou. Let's listen to the Lou we all know. WDW radio show. Listen to the Lou. Listen to the Lou. The podcasts come and the podcasts go. But Lou knows everything that he must know. The host and you can be good friends. Let's listen so our magical time will never end. Let's listen to the Lou we all know. WDW radio show. Listen to the Lou. Listen to the Lou. Let's listen to the Lou we all know. WDW radio show. Listen to the Lou. Listen to the Lou. And welcome back to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. Thanks for tuning in once again. This is show number 11 for the week of April 22nd, 2007. I'm your host, Lou Mangiello, author of the Walt Disney World Trivia Books, owner of DisneyWorldTrivia.com, and I think a 7-year-old kid trapped in a 39-year-old's body. This week's show, we have news and views from Walt Disney World. I welcome in Steve Barrett author of the Hidden Mickeys book series to talk about some Walt Disney World Hidden Mickeys. Jonathan Dichter is going to join me for some fun in our first Walt Disney World Fact or Fiction segment. And Tim Sampson sends in our first listener-submitted segment about R&R at Walt Disney World. I'm going to answer your emails and play your voicemails, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. WDW Radio Show News and Views Report Live from the WDW Radio Studios in Scotch Plains, New Jersey There's a lot of news coming out of the Walt Disney World Resort this week so let's go ahead and get right into it The first bit of news is from the Magic Kingdom where on this July 4th it's going to be host to the Independence Day Naturalization Ceremony on this historic day, more than 1,000 immigrants are going to receive their U.S. citizenship as well as commemorative certificates during a ceremony at the hub in front of Cinderella Castle. 
Then, in an all-American parade, they're going to march down Main Street, USA, and be invited to an afternoon of July 4th fun at Epcot's American Adventure Pavilion. Guests who fly AirTran Airways are now going to be able to participate in Disney's Magical Express Resort Airline check-in service starting May 5th. As you know, Disney's Magical Express allows guests of Disney hotels to check their bags at their airport in their hometown, you bypass baggage claim at the Orlando International Airport, board what buses to your Walt Disney World Resort, and when you get there, your bags magically arrive. Well, now, as part of this complimentary round-trip service, AirTran passengers can now join some of the other participating airlines in that you're now going to be able to check in your luggage and receive a boarding pass at your hotel before you depart. Now you get to avoid the airport check-in lines here at Orlando International as well. Other airlines that currently participate include Alaska Airlines, American Airlines, Continental, Delta, JetBlue, Northwest, and United and TED Airlines. For all you football fans, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are once again going to conduct their 2007 training camp at Disney's Wide World of Sports Complex starting in late July. This is going to mark the sixth year in a row that the NFL team has trained at the complex, being the first NFL team to start training there back in 2002. While the Wide World of Sports normally has a daily admission for its events, Buccaneer practices at training camp will once again be free to all fans and open to the public. For more information, I'll put a link up in the show notes to the Wide World of Sports Complex website. If you are a Pirates fan and or a collector of Disney dollars, there will be three new Disney dollars themed to the Pirates of the Caribbean available at the Walt Disney World Resort starting this spring to commemorate the third chapter of the Pirates of the Caribbean film series. Each of the bills is going to have the skull and crossbones on the front, as well as on the back, you're going to have your choice of the Black Pearl, the Flying Dutchman, and a new ship to be unveiled in the third film coming out later on this spring. The first two bills, which are themed to Dead Man's Chest and Curse of the Black Pearl, are available now at merchandise locations throughout property, with the third being released May 15th, just prior to the release of Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. I mentioned on last week's show the new tea kiosk that can be found in front of the China Pavilion on the World Showcase Promenade. Well, it looks like tea is becoming more and more popular because all across the Walt Disney World Resort, guests are going to have a new way to enjoy tea, and this is in cocktails, as in adult beverages. And these tea-infused cocktails were created by Disney's beverage team. They're offered in most lounges and table service restaurants. They have all kinds of exotic combinations, including the famous Zentini with Sky Citrus Vodka and Green Tea Liqueur, the Lemon Verbena Martini, with Kettle One Citron and Lemon Verbena Tea, and the Iced Chai Tea Latte with Malibu Coconut Rum, Chai Tea, and Half and Half, I hear research trip in my near future. Some of the drinks are served hot, like the Cassis Infusion with Cassis Tea and Chambord, or the Vanilla Ruibos Soother with Navon Vanilla Cognac and Vanilla Ruibos Tea. Sorry if I mauled the name of that tea. The name is actually African for red bush and is very, very popular in South Africa, not only for its taste, but for its high level of antioxidants and low tannin levels. According to Disney, quote, tea is associated with powerful antioxidants, increased metabolism and lower cholesterol. So guests are intrigued by the idea of adding tea to its cocktails. And he's right. And in fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a recipe for the Zentini up on the show notes at WDWRadio.com. If anybody has had a chance to check these out, I would definitely like to know what you think. 
I mentioned before, those who may be fans of Pirates of the Caribbean, well, if you're also a fan of Disney pin trading, on May 25th, Mickey's Pin Trading Night is going to be themed specifically to Pirates of the Caribbean. This is a monthly session that goes on over at Disney's Contemporary Resort. It's going to be the final activity for the Pirates of the Caribbean Adventure on the Seven Seas Lagoon event taking place that week. It's going to run from 6 to 9 p.m. For more information about Disney's pin trading and this event, you can head on over to DisneyPins.com. I mentioned on an earlier show that L'Originale Alfredo di Roma Restaurante is scheduled to close on August 31st, 2007. Disney has just announced that the restaurant that is going to replace Alfredo's will be run by the Patina Restaurant Group. They currently operate New York's Sea Grill, Cafe Pino in Los Angeles, as well as many others. It's going to be the first Patina restaurant in Florida and is scheduled to open in the fall of 2008. There is no word currently on the actual name of the restaurant, although it is supposed to feature the cuisine of Master Chef Joaquim Splichal and participate in the Magic Your Way dining plan. Of course, as more details are released, we will talk about them here on the show. Finally, two bits of news from the Walt Disney World resorts themselves. Someone earlier this week sent in to me anonymously some artwork allegedly of the contemporary DVC slash suites building, as there seems to be conflicting reports of exactly what this building is going to be. I'm going to put a link up in the show notes to this computer-generated picture. It is like from ground level, but you can see the circular building in comparison to the A-frame contemporary tower. Whatever it's going to be, it is beautiful and quite large, especially relative to the existing tower building. Again, it's interesting to note that Disney has not made any official comment on what this is going to be, considering that the demolition of the North Wing has completely taken place. They are probably going to start construction of the new tower very soon. It makes you speculate, is this going to really be a DVC resort? They just not don't want to announce it because they don't want to halt sales of anything over at Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge Villas. We don't know. There do seem to be conflicting reports. In fact, there is conflicting information and uh, nomenclature used in the documents that have been online. It is referred to in some of the Disney documents as a DVC resort. It's also referred to later on in later dated documents as the contemporary suites. So unfortunately, time is going to tell because the reports are in such conflict with one another. Finally, speaking of the DVC villas over at Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge, I'm going to put a link up in the show notes at WDWRadio.com to a promotional video or what appears to be a promotional video from Disney that someone put up on their website. It'll give you a little more of an idea of what Disney is planning to do over at the villas as well as some concept art and other promotional pieces. I want to thank all the people who sent me the link to that video this week. I do appreciate it. And if you have any news or rumors that you want to contribute, send an email to lou at wdwradio.com, call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW, or post in the WDW Radio message forums over at disneyworldtrivia.com. It's been a few weeks since we visited the Walt Disney World Rumor Mill, and we have two things coming out of the theme parks this week. First, it appears that the rumor of a second Bibbidi-Bobbidi Boutique location that I spoke about some time ago may very well be coming true. 
as cast members are reporting that the King's Gallery inside Cinderella Castle will close in order to make way for a second Bibbidi-Bobbidi Boutique Salon. It's currently believed to close between July 5th and September 9th, 2007, and the closure will not affect anything else going on in and around the castle itself. Speculation is that on April 29th of this year, it will start taking appointments for dates from September 10th, 2007 and beyond. As far as the King's Gallery shop itself, it's supposed to move into a new venue, possibly the Uptown Jewelers on Main Street. Everything that's in the Uptown Jewelers, such as the artwork and watch station, will move over to the Main Street Cinema. That is currently home to the VMK shop. That is planned to not go away altogether, but move to a venue somewhere in Mickey's Toontown Fair, which to me sounds like a much better location anyway. My personal opinion, I think this is absolutely brilliant and obviously a perfect location for this. What little princess won't want to go to the Bibbidi-Bobbidi Boutique before or after starting her breakfast with Cinderella Castle, spending the day as a true Disney princess? Also, think about how well this is going to work during the pirate and princess parties. I think that was part of the idea about creating the Bibbidi-Bobbidi Boutique. It would be a great tie-in. However, the location in downtown Disney is relatively far from the Magic Kingdom. is not necessarily the most convenient, even when you have to use Disney transportation. I think this is a great, great idea. I think it's going to be incredibly successful and probably book up very fast as well. That being said, I personally like the King's Gallery. I think it's a very unique gift shop. They have a lot of specialty items really themed towards fantasy land, medieval things. Uh, similar to the castle, you'll find a lot of glass ornaments and crystal items from the Erebus Brothers. The other half of the shop is really more like the art of Disney. There's a lot of sketch art. There's big figs. Uh, you can also get swords, and it's very, very well-themed. So I hope that it does exist in some form or another. Even if it is relocated to Main Street USA, I do hope they keep much of the same merchandise that they currently have. The second rumor is not about Walt Disney World specific, but it does involve the Disney theme parks. It is something that I might have normally overlooked just because it is one of these things that does rear its head every so often. And this is, of course, about another new Disney theme park coming into the United States, but not in Orlando and Anaheim. This time, the rumor is back and has been reignited that it's going to be coming to Branson, Missouri. And the reason why I decided to mention it on this show is because this isn't something that's just floating around the internet, but has been reported in the Springfield, Missouri news leader. There have been rumors about Disney coming to this area going as far back as the mid-1990s. But now, according to the news leader, there has been a request for road improvements totaling $1.1 billion dollars to facilitate the construction of a new theme park in Newton County. There is speculation and investigation as to whether it is Disney that could be linked to this company that is looking to possibly build a theme park in this area. A gentleman by the name of Todd Marshall attended an April 12th commissioner's meeting and said that he represented a Springfield company called ARM Risk, and he was inquiring about changes on county roads leading to the location the company is considering for a theme park. Details Marshall gave the commissioners included first phase construction costs of $1.1 billion, land purchases of 1,000 acres with the park totaling 100 acres with six hotels, 95 shops, 27 rides, 12 stages, and 18 restaurants. Now, it appears the person that wrote this article is not trying to just be the next Emily Bavar because she does have some information that leads her to believe that it could possibly be Disney. 
there was a registration of fictitious name document filed with the Missouri Secretary of State's office in March for arm risk. And on there, three owners are listed. Two of the addresses listed for two of the owners is what raised the red flag. One of the people, Robert Brown, listed his address as 500 South Buena Vista Street, Burbank, California. And Jason Johnson listed his address as Corporate Office, Lake Buena Vista, Florida. A search online, of course, does reveal that that is, in fact, the corporate headquarters of the Walt Disney Company. And, of course, Disney officials would not comment to either confirm or deny this rumor. Now, this, of course, leads to a number of very interesting and pressing questions, one of which is, would Disney be careless enough to actually put down their corporate address if they were interested in this property? They would not do the opposite of what they did in Florida in order to acquire the land at the price that they did. But let's just wonder, and we'll play devil's advocate and say, what if it is Disney? What if it is Disney coming to Brantford, Missouri? Could this be one of those smaller niche parks that I spoke about back in February that Disney may be considering to expand their offerings worldwide and in the United States? You know, this this location, Branson, Missouri, is smack dab in the middle of the United States. It is a very, very popular tourist destination. It's actually known as the live music show capital of the world. There's more than 40 theaters. There's over 100 shows. There's great weather. It's very easily accessible. There's everything there from a downtown area, tons of shopping. There's cabins on lake. You know, there's three lakes, tons of restaurants, golf. There's some smaller theme parks, uh, as well as lots of other different activities already in place in Branson. So this very well may be a great opportunity if this is where Disney is going. But rather than me speculate, again, I would like to hear your thoughts, your opinion. Do you think this is Disney coming there? Do you think this is a good fit? Is this some place that you would go to if it was a themed park? Say, could this be some sort of a re, you know, rethinking of Disney's America? And then this time, instead of bringing it to the Atlantic coast, they want to bring it to some place that is already established that very well may be able to bring people in year round. Please share your thoughts and let me know. Send an email to lou at wdwradio.com. Call the voicemail with your opinion at 206-202-4WDW. I would love to hear from you or discuss this in the forums over at disneyworldtrivia.com. Okay, so you're listening to a Disney podcast, so obviously you know what a Hidden Mickey is. And I don't know about you, but when I hear Hidden Mickey, two words come to mind. Steve Barrett. He is Mr. Hidden Mickey's, and as he's the author of two editions of Hidden Mickey's, A Field Guide to Disney's Best Kept Secrets, as well as The Hassle-Free Guide to Walt Disney World. But uh, So we're here to talk Hidden Mickey's, so I want to welcome in my good friend, fellow intrepid traveler, and of course, all-around nice guy, Steve Barrett. Thank you, Lou. Thank you for having me on the, on your podcast. It, it's a very nice introduction, and uh, I, I've certainly come to think of myself as, uh, as, a, as a Hidden Mickey enthusiast for sure, uh, mainly because I love to share them with people whenever they ask, so uh, I'm, I'm glad to be doing this talk with you. Well, good. I, I want to talk, uh, like I said, all about Hidden Mickeys, and, and you know, I said, I think everybody really knows probably what a hidden Mickey is. For but for those who maybe are not all that familiar or, or the uninitiated, just tell us what kind of in your mind is the definition of a hidden Mickey. A hidden Mickey is is to me is any image of Mickey Mouse or any other Disney character 
that you happen to spot when you're on Disney property anywhere in the world, uh, and that image would be not blatant as a decorative image, but something that's blended into the into, into the environment that you happen to be in, whether it be a uh, an attraction or a shop or a restaurant. And the Imagineers and artists are getting very good at at hiding these Mickey images uh, all over the place on Disney property. And now you mentioned Imagineers because it actually made me think about a question because there's always a question about what is or is not a hidden Mickey and, and who puts it there and what makes it a hidden Mickey. Does it have to be something put there by an Imagineer? Can it be something put there by a cast member? Unfortunately, we don't know the answer to that question most of the time. Disney, at one point, at least Walt Disney World, had their own official hidden Mickey list. And this list was available back in the late 1990s and early 2000, uh, 2001, 2002, in that time frame. But it was never updated, and Disney never really took it seriously. So there's never been a really good official list of Imagineer-placed hidden Mickeys because the Imagineers don't, do not post on a list when they put one, put a hidden Mickey there. So the only way you know a hidden Mickey is purposeful anymore are two ways, really. Number one is if there's clearly uh, an image of Mickey Mouse there, i.e. a side profile of Mickey, which is clearly purposeful, or maybe Mickey's frontal image, or some obvious uh, image there of Mickey Mouse or another character, you know that that was put there on purpose. There's no question about that. The, the, The debate comes with the three circle or tricircle images were the head and the ears, and and those images uh, may or may not be purposeful. It's hard to tell sometimes because circular forms uh, are all over Disney property, and 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 you know bubbles and pumpkins and tomatoes and what have you, and so it's hard to know if if uh, if three circles that may look like uh, a three circle Mickey was put there purposefully or not. The other way is sometimes Imagineers do admit to it. And occasionally I'll come across on a website that where an Imagineer has posted or a cast member has posted that uh, they placed a Mickey image on purpose. Frankly, those types of admissions are rare. And mostly what we do is we look for them and... and um, uh, and there are out there, you know, I, in my new edition, uh, the third edition of the Hidden Mickey's book at Walt Disney World, I have all, over 700 Hidden Mickey's in that book. And uh, there's probably in the order of 100 or so out there that I haven't even found yet, I believe, from the, from the uh, volume of postings I get on my website. So... Clearly, the Imagineers put Mickey images and other images of other characters in new attractions and in refurbishments, and they wait for us to find them. It's, it's really a fun game, and I hope Disney keeps this game going for a long time. Well, it leads me to my next question. How do you go about finding them? I mean, is it just are you just walking the parks looking all the time? Do, do people write into you? Um, explain how it works over on your website as well. My website has helped tremendously because it uh, relieves me from uh, 
having the full burden of finding them because uh, I, I, you know, there there are a few pe- folks that I've come to know through the website that I trust, and they I, I've come to know them as excellent hidden Mickey spotters. So when they post on my website or, or on my email, I really uh, my ears perk up because it's it's probably there's a good chance it's going to be a, a a true new hidden Mickey finding. So I don't rely on myself alone anymore since my website started as I did in the early years when, when the first edition of the book came out in 2003, I would basically go out there and wander around. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'll give you a good story. Um, I was there with a friend from uh, Oklahoma a few years ago. We were, we were in Animal Kingdom, and we were on the Maharaja Jungle Trek, um, walking just past the tiger exhibit. And taking our time. I mean, this friend from Oklahoma, uh, uh, it's good for me to be with people sometimes because they, they slow me down. You know how it is when you when you walk through Disney World and look at all the details. Um, I, sometimes I'm not very good at that. But anyway, he, we were, he, he was wandering and, and moseying and looking at the details, and he, and he yelled at me. He said, Steve, look at this. And so he, he was pointing at, at a mural just past the tiger exhibit, a mural of... Uh, uh, it had forest and trees and leaves in there, and he was pointing to a hidden Mickey. And and I have uh, actually I have his photo on my website because it was so dramatic. It's a perfect, a beautiful hidden Mickey, three circle Mickey, hidden in the leaves. And when you look at it, it was clearly purposeful put there. It doesn't look like any of the other leaves around it. The artist did a wonderful job with that uh, with that hidden Mickey. I would have never have found that hidden Mickey. <laughs> If I hadn't been with my friend, because he he was taking the time to look at that mural of thousands of leaves, and he found uh, that that truly wonderful hidden Mickey there. So so yeah, I I do rely on on people that take their time and look at the detail because they're out there. I tell you, they the Imagineers do a great job with this. So you mentioned your website and people. So people can actually go to the site. They could submit hidden Mickey's. They could submit photo there. So my, I guess, what I'm asking is that what's on your website is probably far different, you know, both in substance and in layout than what you have in the books. The yeah, the website has photos for one, and the book Disney does, does not allow me at this point to use photos in the book. So I, I rely on descript, descriptions in the book for sure uh, to describe the hidden Mickey's and where they are. Now. Uh, one thing with uh, when people post to my website, many times it's from memory. Uh, they they come to a trip to Disney World and they take a bunch of photos and then they they see a, a few hidden Mickey's and then they go back home and try to describe them. Well, sometimes their descriptions are rather vague. <laughs> you know you that leaf imagine. or the Polynesian over there by the rock, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's it. Right, so I, I I have to go out and find them and verify them. I want to get the descriptions as specific as possible. And on my website, I may I may put their description up there if I if I agree with them, but I'll put a more detailed description under the author's comments and certainly in my book because um, some of those hidden Mickey's are very hard to find. And even people have told me, even with my book. Uh, with detailed descriptions of, of some, some of where these hidden Mickeys are, sometimes they're very hard to find, some of them. As I mentioned before, there are some people I've come to rely on for sure 
who are who are great spotters, better than me, and who who are finding uh, oh two, three, four new hidden Mickeys a month that that I become aware of on my website. Wow! So, so there's that many new ones that you know that often. Yes. Now, you know some of them are debatable. Uh, I, I might say if it's a new hidden Mickey, and I'm not thoroughly convinced that it was a purposeful hidden Mickey, or if it's not proportioned quite right as a three-circle Mickey, I put I may put them in the questionable hidden Mickey section on my website, and I like to I like to bring those to to meets. Uh, for example, the uh, the Magic Meets in Pennsylvania or uh, the Mouse Fest in December, and and really get people to look at those and get some opinions about whether they think it's a hidden Mickey or not. And again, some of the three-circle forms are are quite questionable many times. They're not quite proportioned right. You know, and, 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 and for example, Lou, I still get emails about the the three-circle tiles at the... Uh, Along the entryway to Rock and Roller Coaster, and at this, up to this point, I have been very resistant to accept any hidden Mickey image in which all the circles are the same size. I just, I, I have a lot more faith in the Imagineers than that, Lou. To be honest, <laughs> up to this point, I mean, I know they know, I, I, I know they know what Mickey should look like, and if they really mean, mean to put a, a hidden Mickey image there. You'll know it. At least they're going to make the head larger than the ears, in, 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 in my in my estimation. So, I've been resistant to to accept the uh, you know the equal sized circles as hidden Mickey's. Yeah, you mentioned <clears throat> excuse me, Mouse Fest and and uh, verifying some of the hidden Mickey's. You know that was one of the that was uh, Steve. You do you do hidden Mickey hunts in all the four parks during Mouse Fest. So if you are going to be down around Mouse Fest this year, I can't recommend enough going around with Steve because not only is it just a lot of fun going with the hidden Mickey's guy, but you add such another element to touring the parks. You know, pointing out hidden Mickey's and getting people's opinions. And you do that. You do a, a similar kind of thing at, at Magic Meets, obviously, with just some visual aids. And you're going to be there again uh, this summer. Actually, yes. less than a yes. hundred days away already. But, That's right, Lou. Thanks for the nice comments, but that that really uh, very it helps me very much to get get to get folks to uh, give their opinions on these uh, questionable ones for sure. Steve, you made an allusion earlier to hidden Mickey's not just being Mickey's anymore, to being other hidden characters. And I know there's a few pretty well known ones: the the Mickey and Donald in the Great Movie Ride, and there's an R two D two and C three PO. Tell us about some of the other characters that you can kind of find in the parks that are still you know considered to you hidden Mickey's. Some of the other hidden characters would be hidden minis, for example. There's a great hidden mini in the Great Movie Ride uh, at the loading dock, and you know the, the cast members there will uh, they they carry flashlights with them to show if anybody uh, loading on on the uh, on the ride there at the Great Movie Ride asks about the hidden Mickey, they'll shine the flashlight up there and show them. So. It's not always easy to see, in other words, but it's a, it's a great image of, of many. Is that the one up in the now, window? Uh, that's the one. Uh, it's in the middle of the mural. It's in the. Um, it's above a uh, stump, uh, tree stump, and and it's above the middle house. It's a shadow uh, in the in the grass. Right. I remember. I just so remember. It's a, it's a mini. You had a, a a car of about forty people, kind of craning their necks, looking up in the corner to see if that image in the window was a, a silhouette of Mickey. Oh, you know, I right. debated about that one for a long time <laughs> until I finally got. You know, I finally got a good photo of it. 
And I, that, I think that is a good hidden Mickey. It's a Mickey image, a three-circle Mickey, a little distorted, but it's, in the, it's, in the, uh, it's on the right side of the mural uh, in the second house from the right side, and it's in the leftmost window, and it's just a Mickey shadow in the window. It's a beautiful little Mickey image, tiny. Yeah, really hard to see. And you can, I, I, I forgot you know, to, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention your website. It's hiddenmickeysguide.com. You can go over and you can kind of, you know, browse through the parks. They're all categorized that way, and you can try and spot some of the hidden Mickeys that way and, and as well as submit your own. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, you go through the catalog of, of Mickey images there. I have maybe close to a thousand uh, photos by now and, and postings on the website. Um, and people actually ask me, about quick lists of hidden Mickeys. And, and the best I can come up with is to go to my website and, and click on catalog, the hidden Mickeys catalog, and, and, they just, and they just click on uh, one of the major parks. Uh, say you want to go to Disneyland and you want the Disneyland hidden Mickeys, just click on the catalog and it gives you a list of the uh, Mickey hidden Mickey titles. Not, not descriptions or photos, but it just gives you a list of the titles, which uh, at least from that list maybe can help you you know navigate around but you were asking about other characters you know uh, a lot of people's uh, favorite characters is Kermit the Frog in, uh, in Star Tours at Disney World uh, when you along the queue about mm, it's about halfway along the queue uh, Kermit is sitting below the uh, walkway and he's made of tubes and, and uh, robot parts but that, that's a very cute uh, uh, character image. Uh, there seems to be more more goofy images popping up. Uh, at Downtown Disney, there's a great uh, goofy shadow in the in the Goofy Candy Company uh, on the wall behind the uh, you know behind the counter. So yeah, there 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 are a lot of other cool hidden Mickey characters that you can find uh, throughout Disney World. Uh, but by far, the hidden Mickey, the Mickey image is, is the most common. And you know, you you were asking how it started. That 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 is debated periodically. But um, <clears throat> you know, I I do like Jim Hill's uh, theory about that. That um, when when Epcot was being designed and built in in the late seventies, early eighties, the, the Disney man, Disney management did not want characters in Epcot. They wanted to keep the characters in Magic Kingdom. They, they envisioned Epcot as a more adult park. And, and sort of a silent protest, the Imagineers began hiding Mickey in Epcot. And, and actually, the term Hidden Mickey didn't really begin to be used until uh, the late 1980s. And in fact, there's a fellow here in Orlando that claims to have written the first article about using the term Hidden Mickey, and I think it was written in like 1988 or 89, maybe 1990. But retrospectively, of course, in Disneyland, there are Hidden Mickeys there. There are Mickey images. They weren't called Hidden Mickeys until the late 1980s, uh, 1990 in that time frame, but clearly Hidden Mickeys were being placed by the Imagineers before they were called that. So I think that's how it all started. And now, obviously, we've come to expect them every time there's a change, every time there's refurbishment, every time there's a new attraction open. Have you, now, have you had a chance to go and spot any of the new Hidden Mickeys, maybe in the Nemo show or the Nemo attraction, or have you made it out to see uh, the Grand Fiesta tours yet? 
Yes, the, the, the Nemo musical at uh, Animal Kingdom, uh, there's, a, there's a great hidden Mickey uh, to the left of the stage in the bubbles. Uh, several people saw that and sent me photos, and, and I went out and, and verified it. It's a wonderful hidden Mickey, a three-circle Mickey in the bubbles. And, and the Nemo ride at, uh, in the living seas with Nemo pavilion at Epcot, um, I, there's a pretty decent hidden Mickey image in, in, on the ceiling uh, on the, along the entrance queue when you, when you uh, reach the inside part when, uh, when the water appears above you, there's uh, uh, j- just at the, r- at the right uh, corner at the beginning of that part of the queue on the ceiling, there's, there, there's a three-circle uh, Mickey image above you on the water that I think is pretty decent. Now, uh, I, I, somebody just emailed me recently. I haven't been on the new uh, ride at uh, the Mexico Pavilion. And uh, somebody emailed me that there is a, hidden, a new hidden Mickey in there. I'll have to go try to check it out. He didn't really write a description of it or not, but I would be certainly interested if any of the listeners know of any new hidden Mickeys in the, you know, in the new ride at the Mexico Pavilion. I think it just opened up recently, right, Lou? Maybe a week ago. Yeah, or so. only about a week ago. And yeah, it, I haven't been on it yet. So it's so funny because I found you know I was not a hidden Mickey's guy, and then I got to know you and got into the whole thing. And you ride attractions differently when you're looking for hidden. You don't you don't even see the attraction as much as you are looking around, like on the on the floor, and you're looking you know in the uh, in the paintings and the murals and things like that. You know, sco- trying to scope out new hidden Mickey's. Uh, you know, it's just amazing. Where yeah, and and some of them are hard to spot. There's a there's a hidden Mickey, for example, in the um, in the uh, Winnie the Pooh ride, and it's uh, it's on a uh, cuckoo clock, uh, but you can't see it unless the lights are on, or unless you flash it with a camera. So some of these hidden Mickey's are not um, not visible to, to the rider, uh, but the cast members may know about them. But I yeah, when I, whenever I'm on an attraction at Disney World, I'm always looking, always looking for hidden Mickey's. And verifying them, you know. When, for example, test track. Whenever I'm on test track, I'm, there, there's there's a few of them on the ride. You have to just whip your head around to, to see them all, and uh, I'm I'm always doing that to at least verify that they're still there. I, I hate hidden Mickey's that that are lost, you know, and disappear. It, it's an ongoing process, uh, almost monthly. What do you think your your personal favorite, you know, the hidden Mickey's? I'm sure everybody asks you. What, what do you think your your favorite hidden Mickey is? Well, it's still my my really. It was the first one that just blew me away when I when I started this uh, passion back in 2002, and it's it's the one it's the one in the mural above the Body Wars entrance. Uh, it's the Mickey in the in the nerve tissue, a full body Mickey, uh, hard to see, beautifully r- rendered by the artist, and. Um, unfortunately, as you know, the Wonders of Life Pavilion, uh, we don't know what's going to happen with that. Maybe you do. But, I was going to say, uh, you, you may have to find a new, <laughs> a new favorite soon. <laughs> yeah, so I, 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 I wonder if that mural is going to disappear because it's, just, it's still my favorite hidden Mickey. It's just so, so wonderful and hard to see and, and perfect, and the artist did such a good job with it. It's even hard to see when you know where it is, so that that's the... One of the wonders of, of a, a true, wonderful hidden Mickey to me is is that it's hard to see even even if you know where it is. The the other one that really blew me away was the waving Mickey 
uh, at the Animal Kingdom along the Maharaja Jungle Trek. Um, again, past just past the Tiger exhibit. He, he's on a he's on the mural uh, on the wall outside wall in the first exhibit past the Tiger Tiger exhibit, and and it's a tiny Mickey uh, in the leaves, and he's smiling and waving his right hand to you, and and. It took me the longest to find that darn hidden Mickey. Uh, people were talking about it and trying to describe it, and and I was out there with some neighbors and friends, and and one of the young uh, daughters of uh, my friend, she's I guess she was about twenty, twenty-one years old. She's the one that finally found it and showed me where it was. So I love those hidden Mickey's for sure. They're hard to find. You know they're there. They're put there on purpose. The artist did a great job with it. Uh, those are the ones that really blow me away. I remember when Lights Motors Action first opened, I had gone not long thereafter, and I remember finding, I was taking pictures, you know, just being the research geek that I am, and I found a hidden Mickey all the way back in one of the windows, and I remember sending it to you, and I was so excited when, like, Steve Barrett approved my hidden Mickey as, like, a real one. <laughs> I was well, like, my claim to fame. Yeah, Lou, you were the first one to tell me about that one, absolutely. Uh, you know, you, you got credit for that one, for sure. I think I actually emailed so, uh, you that night from my room just to make sure I could get in there early. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I tell you, I uh, one of my neighbors uh, called me on the phone just a week ago, and uh, she's saying, has anyone told you about the one in the carpet at the Kona <laughs> Cafe? And I said, no, no, send me a picture of it. But, you know, I guess they put a new carpet in the Kona Cafe at the Polynesian Resort. And there's some great little hidden Mickeys in there. So I uh, love those kind of calls because uh, I give credit to people who find them first, for sure. Well, that's a great in thing the book about book and, and on the website. I was like, that's a great thing about your site is, is it's really interactive. Everybody has a chance to go on. They can send you pictures, and then you'll take a look at them and approve them and post them, and you give them credit for it and email them back and things like that. But and again, that that's hiddenmickeysguide.com. I'm going to put that link up. But uh, again, you got the second edition. I'm sorry, the third edition of the Walt Disney World Hidden Mickey's Guide. What else is on the horizon for for Steve Barrett and Hidden Mickey's? The Disneyland Hidden Mickey's book is coming out in probably June. I made uh, three trips out to Disneyland last year to uh, quantify and verify the hidden Mickeys out there. And I fell in love with Disneyland all over again, by the way. I hadn't been there in uh, uh, probably 13, 14 years. I think in the book it's probably maybe on the order of 150 to 200 hidden Mickeys. I can't remember the exact number. Uh, but it's it's a, it's certainly enough to make make some fun scavenger hunts out there. So that book's going to be coming out uh, in in June. And I and and again every spring I update uh, my guidebook, the hassle-free Walt Disney World vacation. Uh, that's that comes out annually, and and, and it's basically uh, uh, a guidebook and a and a touring plan book for for Disney World. And I, I use those touring plans, actually, for the scavenger hunts, for the Hidden Mickey hunts. So, for example, if you, if you open the Walt Disney World Hidden Mickey's book and you want to go to Magic Kingdom and look for the Hidden Mickey's there, they're organized in a, in a way so that you can do the park efficiently uh, with minimal weights in line and find the Hidden Mickey's, you know, at Magic Kingdom. So that, that's, those are the books on the horizon. The first... Hidden Mickey's book in 2003 had about 400 Hidden Mickey's in it. The second edition in 2005 had about 500. And the third edition coming out uh, next month 
is has more than 700. Wow. And that's with that's even including lost hidden Mickeys that I've taken out. So, uh, and and one main reason for that is because of my website, which has been up thanks to you, Lou, um, <laughs> that you set it up for me. It's been going for what two years now, and it's really helped me, uh, or maybe a year and a half. But it's really helped me uh, with with uh, quantifying and verifying all the hidden Mickeys, and it's helped escalate the number in the book and and, and actually uh, retiring the lost ones as well. Great. Well, I, like I said, I'm going to put links to all these things up in the show notes. At, again, that's hiddenmickeysguide.com. If you're heading out to Magic Meets, you're in for a treat to see Steve talk. If you're going down to MouseFest, be sure to attend one or all of Steve's Hidden Mickeys Meet. Uh, again, his book is Hidden Mickeys, A Field Guide to Walt Disney World's Best Kept Secrets, soon to be Disneyland's Best Kept Secrets. Steve, my friend... Thank you. It is always a pleasure talking to you and for having you come on the show. Uh, Lou, Lou, the pleasure is all mine. I tell you, I'm glad you're doing this podcast, and and I'm just so happy to talk to you anytime. So good luck in the future. Thanks, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. All right. I said from the very first show that I wanted the WDW radio show to be as interactive as possible and have you, the listener, participate in the show. Many of you took what I said to heart as you continue to email me, call the voicemail, and post in the forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com and elsewhere. Others have submitted show ideas, and some of you have even contributed your own listener-submitted segment. So in keeping with my promise, I want to offer you one of the very first ones that I received. This comes from a very patient listener, Tim Sampson, who sent me this some time ago. Many of us go, as I say, commando style to Walt Disney World, and I am guilty of often feeling that time not spent in the parks is time wasted, as I like to say. But there are plenty of places to rest and relax at Walt Disney World, many of them free, so you don't always need to have a vacation from your vacation when you finally get home. Tim seems to think so as well, and he has submitted his first R&R at Walt Disney World report. I want to thank Tim for sending this in, and please let me know what you think of this segment, if you'd like to hear more from Tim in the future, and if any of you have experienced what he's going to cover here. Thank you again, Tim. Enjoy. Hiya, pals. This is Tim Sampson with your R&R at WDW Report. This is the start of what I hope will be a regular segment here on WDW Radio. I've been going to Walt Disney World several times a year for the last, oh, 35 years, and I have come to truly love Walt Disney World. It's one of my favorite places to be. So in recent years, I've been trying to learn how to relax more when at Walt Disney World, how to enjoy some of the finer points of this world-class resort. Too many times, I think, people go to Walt Disney World and they try to do everything and see everything and experience everything. You know, that commando-style trip? And they just wear themselves out. And they get home and they need a vacation from their vacation. But there are so many restful and relaxing things to see and do at Walt Disney World. Some things will cost you extra, others may be free. But these are all the kinds of things that we're going to be covering in this segment. 
Now, I understand that many people are not able to visit Walt Disney World as much as I do. Uh, that's one of the privileges, I guess, of being a Florida resident. So, when they do visit, they must go commando style in order to experience everything that the parks have to offer. But even if you must go commando, I know that many of you would like to slow down a bit, catch your breath, and so we'll be offering some tips and tricks that will help you to do just that, even if it's just for a few minutes to soak up some of that Disney magic at a somewhat slower pace. In case you're wondering about the background music this week, I used to play this background music loop from the Living Seas Pavilion in my office when I was working there, and the ladies that I worked with called it spa music. They called it my relaxation time. They knew when I was stressed out, I would put this loop on. So I thought it was very appropriate since the first R&R WDW report will be covering the Grand Floridian Spa and Health Club. Now, my wife and I have been in the hospitality business for a number of years, and we've had the opportunity to visit many fine spas around the country as well as in the Caribbean, and we believe that the Grand Floridian Spa ranks up there with the top ten we've been to. As the name implies, this is part of Disney's Grand Floridian Resort, and if you've ever been on the monorail as it loops around the Seven Seas Lagoon, you have likely passed right over the Grand Floridian Spa and Health Club. It's a small building in the same design as the Grand Floridian Hotel. It's located between the main building and the wedding pavilion. The spa is really just a short walk from either the Grand Floridian or the Polynesian Resort. This spa, along with the spa at Disney Saratoga Springs, are managed by the Nikki Bryan Spa Company. All the employees go through Disney training because they are considered cast members, so you not only get that hallmark Disney service that we all love, but it's overseen by a professional spa management group. As you enter the building, you'll be greeted by a host or hostess who will check you in for your appointment. Also in this area, there's a boutique which offers a number of spa products for sale, specifically the products that are used in the spa treatments, as well as some spa clothing, apparel, and such with the logo on it. If you're a guest of the Grand Floridian or the Polynesian, you can use the health club for free. All you have to do is walk in, show them your key to the world card. There's a little code on there that tells them where you're staying. And you can go in and use the health club. They have all sorts of machines, free weights, uh, everything that you would find in your local neighborhood gym. They also offer personal training by appointment for an extra fee. One of the interesting things about this spa is that they actually encourage families to participate in some spa activities together. They offer some treatments for children as young as four years old that feature good skin care and good health, as well as children's manicures and pedicures. And they encourage parents and children, they have some mother and daughter type packages, to come in and enjoy these treatments together. So that's a little unusual in relation to most spas, but it is very unique to Walt Disney World. It makes a lot of sense being at Walt Disney World. Although, to be honest, I've never seen any children in the spa when I've been there. Uh, my wife has told me that uh, she has seen one or two young girls with their mothers uh, in the ladies' locker room and uh, 
treatment area, so perhaps some actually do take advantage of that. Once you get checked in, you'll be escorted to either the women's or men's lounge and locker room. And the locker room is very comfortable, very well appointed and decorated. Everything is in earth tones, a lot of uh, natural dark wood, and it's very uh, upscale looking. The lockers are secured with an electronic lock that you enter your own four-digit code, and that way all your personal items are kept there securely. A robe and slippers are provided for you as well at this time. And uh, here's a tip for those of you who are, like myself, what they call poo-sized. I'm six feet tall and 290 pounds. Uh, You usually have to ask an attendant for a plus-size robe, but don't be embarrassed ask for it you'll be much more comfortable trust me some of the amenities to be enjoyed here include showers a whirlpool tub dry sauna and turkish steam and they have a full assortment of uh, shampoo and uh, body gel shower gel Uh, they have uh, all the amenities you need if you want to uh, shave Uh, take care of your skin, wash your hair, whatever the case is, it's all provided for you there free. And by the way, if you're using the health club, you're also able to use these spa amenities for free. Maybe you've been walking around the parks for a couple of days and your legs and back are just killing you. They have all sorts of treatment to soothe your aches and pains. A variety of treatments for men, women, and couples, and as we mentioned earlier, children. Some of the treatments I've enjoyed in the past include the aromatherapy massage, uh, the grand romantic couples massage along with my wife, and the Swedish massage. I've done that quite a few times. It's one of my favorites, as well as the gentleman's facial. Of course, they have a number of other therapies uh, that you would find in a spa, including facials, water therapies, soaks, wraps, scrubs, toners, hand and foot treatments, paraffin treatments, and also some spa packages, many of which include lunch, and they will run anywhere from two and a half to five hours. In fact, last year my wife, mother-in-law, and sister-in-law enjoyed one of these spa packages that included lunch. Uh, When we went in to check in, we chose our menu, and then at lunchtime the lunch was set up in the boutique behind the check-in area. I was there in the morning for a massage, so I joined them for this lunch. It was brought over from the Grand Floridian. The food and service was excellent. It was really a nice treat, and I think it'd be especially fun for couples or for mothers and daughters. I know that they had a great time, and they're going to probably do it again. Keep in mind that the locker room areas are very much like a gym, so you may encounter nudity in the locker room and sauna area. If you want to wear a swimsuit, that's fine. Some folks prefer to wear a swimsuit in the sauna and the whirlpool. Others don't. So that's pretty normal for most spas and especially gyms. They encourage you to check in at least a half hour before your scheduled treatment. But here's a tip. I like to check in about an hour before. And they don't stop you from doing this. They're very happy for you to come in. I like to go in, sit in the steam room for a little while, and then perhaps take a shower and sit in the lounge and cool down, relax for a little bit before my treatment, Uh, perhaps have something cold to drink or eat a piece of fruit. And it's usually really quiet in the lounge, and it gives me an opportunity to mentally and physically decompress and start to really prepare for this wonderful treatment that I'm about to have. 
Well, that's all the time we have for today talking about the Grand Floridian Spa and Health Club. If you'd like more information about the spa, you can visit the website for the Nikki Bryan Spa Company, www.relaxedyet.com. That'll be in the show notes. And that's where they have all the spa menus, pricing, and information for both the Grand Floridian and the Spa Saratoga Springs. In future shows, we'll be covering the spa at Saratoga Springs, as well as the Mandara Spa at the Dolphin. We've been to both spas in the past year. We'll also be covering restaurants, special events like the Flower and Garden Festival, the Food and Wine Festival, and some of the special Disney dining experience events. We'll be talking about resort hotels, especially uh, Disney Vacation Club, and even some of my favorite places to just sit and people watch. If there's something you'd like to hear covered in this segment, or if you would like some clarification on something covered, please let us know. I hope you enjoyed this segment, and I look forward to your feedback on it. Please post in the DisneyWorldTrivia.com forums. My username is Timbo. Call in your voicemail, send in an email, communicate with us in all the different ways that you'll hear about at the end of the show. My time is up. I thank you for yours. Now back to Lou and the WDW Radio Show. One of the ways I like talking about and kind of bringing out some trivia into the show is by doing a segment that I call Fact or Fiction. And it's where I basically ask somebody 10 questions all about Walt Disney World and ask them if they think it's fact or fiction. And again, not meant to quiz them, just to kind of uh, talk a little bit about some Disney trivia. And for this week's installment, actually the first on uh, the WDW radio show, I wanted to bring on our good friend and voiceover guy, Jonathan Dichter. In a world where only two choices exist, fact or fiction, one voice man must rise to the top. <laughs> oh, hi. Hey, hey, how you doing? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm here. So, ten questions, which means best possible score, seven out of ten? Six out of ten? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that you said that this isn't for... Uh, any sort of test or anything like that, but I really think you should actually keep score and and list on the show notes page the different guests that you've had on so that we can find out if, oh, say, I don't know, a, a voiceover guy might score better than, say, one of the authors of The Unofficial Guide or something <laughs> like that. I, it's so funny. I have, like, this unofficial rival going on with Len Testa, and he has no idea who I am. It's very fun. <laughs> Alienating guests one at a time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love you, Len. Ooh, Len, you're so talented. Oh, oh Len, we love Len. He, he's almost as good as Matt Hotchberg. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> <laughs> hey, quit making fun of my co-host like that. All right, Jonathan, let's uh, let's get right into it. Let's start with our first fact or, fiction, fact or fiction question. Easier than the bar exam. All you have to do is tell me whether you think it is fact or fiction. Ready? Okay. All right. Like the hot seat, only better, but with no valuable prizes. Question one. Main Street USA was once home to a tobacco shop. Can I phone a friend? It's fact or fiction. Pick one. Can I pull the audience? It is fact or fiction. <laughs> um, fact, no fiction. No, wait, wait, wait. No, no, wait. Um, C. No, 
Uh, that's it's fact. There was a tobacco shop on Main Street. You're right. You, you after all that painful deliberation, it is it is a fact. And as you were walking up Main Street USA towards Cinderella Castle, uh, a little right before you approached Casey's Corner, and obviously it's it sold pipes and tobaccos and cigars. One of my favorite collectibles is actually an old wooden cigar case with a a Walt the old Walt Disney World logo branded on it. And it's actually pretty funny because they don't sell gum anywhere on property, but they sold tobacco. That is pretty interesting. Do they sell other sorts of... Um, Smoking jackets and, and, and hats? Yeah, I mean, just, you know, <laughs> uh, the, the, the Sherlock Holmes cap was the... Do they sell, like, bubble pipes? Or... <laughs> Those little candy great, cigarettes. <laughs> great mouse detective paraphernalia, things like that. All right, let's move on to question two. The Swiss Family Robinson's treehouse is built into a replica of a giant banyan tree. Mm. Uh, and the answer is Swiss Capulca. You are correct, sir. That is a fact. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say that banyan tree sounds like something you completely made up, so I'm going to say fiction. There's no such tree. I just said it was a fact. <laughs> Oh, it is a fact. That's right. right. Uh, wow, you're two for two. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, it is. A, it is a replica of a banyan tree. It's actually its own little species that Disney's called a Disneyodendron eximus, which means out of the ordinary Disney tree. The the, uh, the roots of the tree are actually built built 42 feet into the ground for structural support. There's about 1,400 branches. They're covered with 300,000 lifelike kind of polyethylene leaves that really do blow in the wind and are different colors. And, uh, and back in 1971 dollars, they cost about a dollar each. So, And the only thing living on the tree really are not the leaves, but the Spanish moss. That's the only thing that's really, uh, the only part of the tree that's alive. Swiss Famlicus Triacus. Close enough. Gotcha. Question three. The current sponsor of Star Tours is Eminem Mars. Hmm. Star Tours, MGM Studios, Motion Simulator Ride, Candy. Yeah, that fits. Okay, uh, fact. Oh, if I would have fiction, if I would have asked you this a long time ago, it might have been fact. But today, it is fiction. Energizer is the current, you know, the little pink bunny uh, people. They are the current sponsor. Eminem Mars was the sponsor. What candy and Star Wars have to do with one another, other than making really cool little action figure M&Ms, I have no idea. Nothing outlasts Luke's lightsaber. It just keeps going and going and going. All the Jedi use Energizer batteries in their their lightsabers. (laughs) That's right. All right, question four. The Bird and Robot Show could once be found in Tomorrowland. Pretty sure the Bird and Robot Show, otherwise known as the Tiki Room, has always been in Adventureland. Um... Fiction. I was going to ask you if you sure if you were sure you wanted to keep score, <laughs> but right, it is fiction, and it, it's not what you're thinking or where you're thinking. The Bird and the Robot Show is actually part of the post-show display over in World of Motion, over in the Trans Center, and there were a couple of different little exhibits in there. One was the Water Engine Show, the other one was the Bird and Robot Show, and it had a, a notable audio animatronic, which was the the Toucan, who was called creatively enough Bird. And there was a uh, 
a robot, like an assembly line robot, and his name was Tiger. And he kind of demonstrated the importance of robots in automobile assembly and things like that. He did a lot of different tricks and, and really had his own little persona. But he was the, the notable thing about him was that he was the first audio animatronic figure to actually pick up things. He could actually uh, retrieve things out of a bag, show them to the audience, and then put them back in. Um, fiction, because the robotic <laughs> birds are the Tiki Room and Peg Lake Pete, um, and well now Iago and Zazu. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to question five. <laughs> Journey into imagination. Open. Ooh, I love this right. Yeah, I see. I, I don't. You notice I picked out a Star Tours question for you, which I almost got wrong, and a Journey into Imagination question for you. So here you go. Journey into imagination opened with Epcot Center on October 1st, 1982, and was heralded as, quote, an instant classic. I actually know that that is fiction, because Journey into Imagination itself didn't open for a few months later. All that opened when Epcot opened was Magic Journeys. You are a gentleman and a scholar, because the Journey into Imagination ride didn't open until March 5th, 1983. Bravo. The reason the reason it took so long was I had to lay down the voice track for Dreamfinder. And uh, <laughs> being I was only seven... Uh, no, wait, 1983, that would have made me five. They had to wait until I was actually hit five before I could record it for um, Florida labor laws back at that time. Were you able to get a SAG card back then, or did you have to... No, I'm not 30 yet. Nothing has started to SAG. <laughs> All right, Mr. Lawyer, question number six. The year that the United States gained its independence can be seen atop the Hall of Presidents. Um, that would require a time machine on top of there, but wait... The year we gained our independence from England, I'm guessing. Um, no, from Luxembourg. <laughs> oh, well, that changes everything. Um, if it's Luxembourg, I'm going to have to say fiction. Well, it's going to be fiction no matter what, because the year oh, on, on top is 1787, which, as you remember from Con Law, was the year that the Constitution of the United States was ratified. And if you Very look cool. just below the steeple, it, it's there in gold numbers. But then... They never actually made a successful musical out of it like they did with 1776. So that's why very few people know about 1787. I'm actually writing a script right now. Yikes. All right, question seven. <laughs> question number seven. The first moderate resort on property was Disney's Caribbean Beach. I am almost positive that's a fact because I'm pretty sure I stayed in it when it was the only moderate resort on property. You are, you see, maybe we'll keep score after all. It was, not only was it the first moderately priced resort on property, but it held another distinction, which at the time, it was the largest resort on property. It had 2,112 rooms. And that, of course, changed back in December 14th, 2003, when Pop Century opened. Which has 17,432 <laughs> rooms. Not including the Scopa Wing, which is like right. 200 rooms right there. <laughs> Plus the jacuzzi lounge and the disco room. and Right. But anyway. Well, actually, Pop Century had 2,880 rooms in it. Um, that's the classic years. The legendary years, which we, which we are still waiting to open, is going to have another 2,880, unless they make those suites, who knows, for a total of 5,760 rooms. But again, we'll have to see what's going on uh, with the legendary years, if and when they ever open. Wow. That's a lot of rooms. That's a lot of rooms. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. But anyway, question eight. Mount Mayday can be found in the middle of Blizzard Beach. Hmm. Well, I'm aware of the fact that I've never been to a water park. 
but I've also never heard of Mount Mayday, so that would mean it's probably in one of the water parks. But you're you're a tricky guy, so I'm gonna say that it's probably over at Typhoon Lagoon and say fiction. You could represent me any day of the week and twice on Sundays. That is good <laughs> deductive reasoning. <laughs> You're right. It, it is the centerpiece of Typhoon Lagoon, and it is the 100-foot-tall Mount Mayday, which is surrounded by a 2.75 million-gallon wave pool. How cool is that? That's very cool. That's an enormous wave pool. Is Does it have one of those like slides that's completely 90 degrees where you just sort of jump and fall into the 275-million-gallon <laughs> tank screaming and shouting all the way all right here you go for bonus points even though we're not keeping score what's the name of the boat that's perched atop mount mayday oh gosh it was 40 cubits by 80 cubits two by two animals um (laughs) no wait that's mount ararat that's something else altogether um let's say ooh, let's let's just say the black pearl for fun cool nice reference but it but wrong it's missing uh, the, the Nautilus. <laughs> Again, close other side of the park. How about the Wicked the- Wench? <laughs> it, it is the Miss Tilly. It was a shrimp boat. And, uh- Fiction. It's the Flying Dutchman. <laughs> okay, we're not keeping score. Don't worry. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> all right. Uh, question nine, Jonathan. There are eleven baobab trees found inside Africa, um, over in Disney's Animal Kingdom. There you go, making up foliage again. First it was some other kind. Now it's the baobab tree. Baobab tree. Ay, ay, ay. In Africa? Mm-hmm. Um, hang on a minute. www.google.com. How do you spell baobab? So you don't go to DisneyWorldTrivia.com <laughs> first. Thanks. Um, oh. Well, uh, Jonathan, it was right. nice having you on the show. Um, uh, uh, fact. <laughs> Fiction. That's what I said. You can I visit Jonathan's fiction. website at xvoiceofwdwradio. Oh, no. <laughs> there is actually only one live baobab tree in uh, in all of Africa, and that's in Harambe. It's right outside the Tusker House restaurant. There are a number of fake ones inside Kilimanjaro Safari, but uh, like I said, they are not real. A lot of them are meant to um, cover little feeding areas and, and hide brows and things like that. So there, there is and only one live. What exactly does a baobab tree look like so that I could see? It when is there a picture on DisneyWorldTrivia.com? Which, by the way, is my which by the way, which by the way, you have just been been uh, we've just blocked your IP address, so don't even bother trying. <laughs> DisneyWorldTrivia.com is my favorite website for any sort of of trivia information you need from Walt Disney World. And, uh, Shameless plugging address. will do you no good now. <laughs> uh, okay, a, a really easy way to to do to see a baobab tree. Think about a, a petrified tree turned upside down with its roots hanging out, and that's probably what it looks like. It's kind of a whitish gray with these scraggly-looking branches sticking out of the top, and that's what a baobab yeah. tree looks like. I think they, they may actually have a replica of one on the... In fact, I know there's a replica of one on the safari because I remember I have a picture of it. I thought it was real, but I guess it's not. There's a replica of many. I think, there, I think there's nine. I think there's nine of them on the safari, somewhere around there. Uh, fact. Ah, whatever. What do I know? <laughs> All right, your your last question and your chance to redeem yourself <laughs> is when the uh, when the enchanted tiki room opened back as the tropical serenade at the time, it was a D ticket attraction. This may be a little bit before your time, but no, no, no. I, I, it is before my time, but I, I I think I may actually know the answer. Although, before I give you my answer, I'd like to encourage any of the listeners who want to 
stop for a minute <laughs> and go look in their uh, official uh, Walt Disney World trivia books written by Lou Mangiello, now on sale, two for 20 at <laughs> DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Uh, and you can wait, and while you go look it up, I will uh, consider... Actually, I... I want to say that the Tiki Room was one of the original e-ticket attractions, so I'm going to say fiction. Oh, so close. You were close. It, but, but I it, meant fact. Well, when I said then, fiction, I meant fact. Then you get credit. Then you get Excellent. credit. Excellent. I could only imagine what your, your essay portion of your bar exam looked like. Anyway, when it opened, it was actually a D-ticket attraction. Uh, like I said, it was it was known as a tropical serenade. It, uh, if you remember from our discussion of audio animatronics, it really was kind of the first attraction to use the audio animatronic figures. Very cool at the time. I was actually a huge fan of Tropical Serenade. It was in the Sunshine Pavilion. I don't know if you remember going back, the old orange bird that used to stand outside. It basically was a walk-around character with this giant orange for a head. And uh, because the pavilion was sponsored by the Florida Citrus Growers. Oh, no, I I actually, I don't think I ever saw the orange bird, but I remember the Tropical Serenade. I remember the the voices of all the gods and goddesses scared the heck out of me before I went to go in and see the birds and usually would uh, just fall asleep after being frightened by the gods. (laughs) I was, I didn't really appreciate art and and audio animatronics when I was younger. Now I, I like them a whole bunch more. And now that I'm old enough to appreciate them, they changed it and added Zazu and Iago. And that just upsets me <laughs> i don't really want to talk about it. i was gonna say i'm sure you'll you will re- you will refrain from commenting but all right that's it i have no idea what your score was because i wasn't keeping score so we'll oh, just say I, that you got I seven was. out of ten I know no, you no, got no 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 i it was it was actually it was amazing because not only did i get the bonus question right i, I plugged the book which actually gives me a 13 out of 10 <laughs> which is it is the best possible score well as of right that's... now you are leading all of our guests yes. In their yes. scores in the fact or fiction segment, so beat that, Lentesta. Go ahead, I dare <laughs> That's you. Right. Go ahead. <laughs> Come on, unofficial guide boy. Come on. <laughs> He's hey, so gonna kill me when I see him at Mouse. Be Mouse nice. I'm me. I'm still waiting for my I love Len T-shirt to come in the mail. So oh, Len, we love you. Oh, you're so cool. Eh? <laughs> God, I want to be a Len groupie so bad. Anyway, Jonathan oh, Dichter, I, you, you are uh, you you are the intro guy since I don't know what else to call you, and uh, your blog is voiceofmousetunes.blogspot.com. If you don't know what else to call me, you could just say the voice of WDW Radio, or the guy that produces the voices behind the magic segments, or my best friend in the whole world, or. The best voice guy ever to grace a podcast, except for Brian Summer. You know, All right, so I want to thank those... I want to thank the voice guy, uh, Jonathan <laughs> Dichter, for coming on. As always, oh, thank you for <laughs> thank you for all of your intros and all your hard work. And uh, as you know, Jonathan is doing uh, doing some good things over there in rainy, cold, wet Seattle to not only improve his quality of life, but doing things for the Dream Team product to raise money. And Jonathan and I will be crossing the finish line of the half marathon in 2009, hand in hand, Did- arm in arm, or or at least um, being wheeled in in in, <laughs> in separate uh, in separate wheelchairs across the finish line. No, no, no. Do you, do you want to hear the update? Go ahead, lay it Since, on us. You know, Give me the number. Right, the, Make me feel bad between because me. between me, you, and however many listeners <laughs> all right well th- those those three won't tell anybody um oh, <laughs> nice so, oh wow. sorry no 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 no, no uh, as of as of this week as of monday of this week uh, i've lost 27.8 pounds and as of the beginning of april with all of the uh, pledges and sponsorship once i can 
actually squeeze the money out of people that they've promised to give me. Um, I have raised for you, Mr. Mongello, and, and your work with the Dream Team, uh, $419.50 something cents. Wow. You are a good man, Charlie Brown. I am proud of you uh, on many, many levels, and thank you in advance uh, for, for all that you're doing. And, well, uh, it's it's my pleasure. It helps keep me helps keep me going. I've got uh, the the map of the course up on the wall in my treadmill room, as well as the uh, beautiful poem that uh, one of your board members, Kate, uh, wrote for me. Which, if you're interested, in, you can go to my blog, voiceofmousetunes.blogspot.com, and on the side is a, is a quick link to one called uh, "Will You Run for Me?" And uh, please click on that, read that. Kate is. Just a, a wonderful friend and, and a fantastic inspiration to me. So, Well, again, thank you for everything. I hope you had fun on this uh, first Facts or Fiction segment. Too bad you'll never be coming back again. Um, but <laughs> I'm kidding. I kid oh. because I love. Please, please. <laughs> so that's going to do it for okay. this installment. Maybe, maybe Paul Barry's interested in voices <laughs> behind the magic segment. <laughs> that's Getting right. Chambers. <laughs> Oh, that's an idea. Anyway, look for uh, look for Jonathan's other segments that I know you all enjoy. The voices behind the magic. He's got more coming up uh, sooner than you think. So, Jonathan, seriously, buddy, thanks again for coming on. Hope you had some fun. Anytime, Lou. You know I always enjoy coming and hanging out. See ya. See ya. I want to thank you all for sending in your email questions and comments. I really do appreciate them. I'm sorry I did not get a chance to get through any last week, but we do have a lot to cover this week, so let's get right into it. First, I received a ton of emails about free dining. I want to thank again Pam from The Magic for Less Travel for coming on, discussing it, clearing up some of the questions, things like that. But I did, like I said, get a number of emails about the plan uh, as well as some uh, many posts in the forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com, which is really indicative of a lot of the emails I received and illustrates how important it is to book your dining as soon as possible if you are going to go to Walt Disney World during that time. Unfortunately, these are some of the consequences of the free dining promotion. Let me read this forum post to uh, demonstrate what I'm talking about. I know Lou had mentioned this on the podcast back in March, but I was just wondering what everyone else's thoughts were on the impossibility of getting reservations lately. I've never had the trouble getting reservations like I do now. We booked a vacation for this September. I called to make up some some priority seatings for the trip 178 days in advance. That left just two days open for others to book, and we are shut out of a bunch of restaurants. Now, they did offer us some, some times to dine, like 4 to 5 p.m., and even a few around 9.30 and later, but how did this happen all of a sudden? I would think that 178 days was ample time to book my reservations. Some restaurants were completely booked. You know the ones, Le Cellier, Chef Mickey's, Crystal Palace, California Grill, etc. Just a little frustrating. I guess I need to call for every reservation. I need exactly 180 days in advance in the future. Geez, it's like keeping it's like getting tickets to see the Stones in concert just to have a meal. Sorry about the rant and that comes from Mickey Bose and Mickey, you, like I said, you are not the first to let me know this. There were other people who had similar uh, concerns and complaints. It does go to show that you do need to obviously make your reservations as soon as possible. And when we say six months in advance, you really do need to do it. This unfortunately is a consequence of free dining. I, I don't know 
what the way to get around this is, other than maybe something I've suggested in the past about if you do make a dining reservation, you know, Disney has to somehow have a checks and balances system, make sure it doesn't conflict with any other dining reservations that you made. And if you don't cancel it and afford people the opportunity to take your spot, you maybe get some some sort of a monetary penalty uh, because it is becoming so difficult. I don't know what the other solution is. If anybody else has any ideas, by all means, please let me know. Post in the forums. Second question, I'm only 10 years old and I haven't been to Walt Disney World in six years. I'm also a big Disney fan, so I have a couple of questions. First, where do you find Thumper at Walt Disney World? Second, do you think that people don't go to Epcot because they think it's more like a museum and won't have any fun? Last, what made them make Spaceship Earth look like it does on the outside? Your podcast is great, Thumper rocks, and that's from Zach. Well, Zach, let me take your questions in order. First, as far as Thumper concerned, he is a very, very rare character to see in the parks. The only time I really remember seeing him was when Bambi was re-released back in 2005. I know he was able to be seen at the entrance to Disney's Animal Kingdom. About Epcot, I still think Epcot is very, very popular. Most people today don't think of it much like a museum anymore, especially with the rides like Nemo, Mission Space and Test Track that have come in. It's kind of gotten away from that educational aspect and more towards entertainment. Finally, how they make Spaceship Earth look the way it does is that it's coated with something called a leucobond, and that's an aluminum composite mix. It's self-cleaning. It resists um, the harsh climate and the sun, and of course, looks very cool. And yes, Zach, Thumper does rock. Our next question says, I've been listening to your podcast, including the one we discussed, Muppet Vision, and I love your shows, even though I haven't been to Walt Disney World since February 2005. So I have several questions regarding Disney, specifically MGM. One, I was recently watching a video of the old Disney's Doug Live show on YouTube and wonder if you knew if there are any plans to put a new show in the ABC TV theater. Two, several years ago, around the time Finding Nemo was in theaters, There was a rumor that a 3D movie based on Finding Nemo could go into the studios, possibly similar to Shrek 4D over at Universal, possibly replacing Muppet Vision or Voyage of the Little Mermaid. I was wondering what the current state of that rumor is, or if it was even true at all. Take care, John Popovich. John, thank you for your email about the first question about Doug Live and the old ABC TV theater. Many people, uh, myself included, not only don't understand why nothing has come in to replace anything in that theater, but really are saddened to see the theater empty. Much like I feel about the Diamond Horseshoe Saloon in Frontierland. Um, Unfortunately, I haven't heard any rumors about anything being planned for that stage as yet. Again, I think there's many of us who would like to see something there, another offering, whether it be a show, an attraction, or the like. I also have not heard anything about Voyage of the Little Mermaid being replaced at this time. I have heard things in the past about it being replaced. Uh, I doubt it would be Nemo, especially in light of the Nemo ride and show over at Epcot and Disney's Animal Kingdom, respectively. I have heard everything from The Incredibles to Disney kind of waiting to see how well some of the Robinsons and some of the other new films may do before they decide what to put in there, although I don't necessarily think we're going to see a Ratatouille stage show anytime soon. George writes in and says, Lou, I remember a Goosebumps attraction that was being built during my 1994 or 1997 vacation. We saw it on the backstage tour during construction and they mentioned it during the spiel. The next time we returned, 1997 or 2000, it was gone. I haven't seen a lot of information about it. Maybe this could be a show idea, the shortest lived attraction at a Disney theme park. Thanks for a great podcast and a great blog. Talking about Jeff's 
2719 Hyperion blog, George. George, you are right. Back in 1998, there was a Goosebumps area as well as a show. And you're also right that there's not much out there about it. Not many pictures, not much documentation. But what I do know is back in 1998, when the uh, when the Goosebumps attraction opened, R.L. Stein was actually there at the opening ceremonies. If you recall at the end of the old backstage tram, stu- tram tour, that old loony bin was now kind of a Goosebumps area. Um, all the sound effects boxes were, were playing kind of spooky Halloween noises. There was a lot of Halloween-themed merchandise. There was also a Goosebumps stage show next to a funhouse created just for that Halloween um, time of year. It was called the Goosebumps Horrorland Fright Show and Funhouse, and that was over, like I said, at the Disney MGM Studios. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with Goosebumps, that was a, a series of books geared towards kids, which were a huge phenomenon in the mid-90s, a la maybe Harry Potter. The theme for the show was kind of like an eerie midway, um, as though kind of a carnival had blown into town, pitched its tent overnight. You kind of saw uh, many of the carny-style banners and pennants uh, talking about different creatures and things like that. There were characters from the Stein books, like Curly the Skeleton, Slappy the Ventriloquist. It was very interactive. They brought two audience members in to participate as part of the of the fright show. There were a lot of magic acts, things like that, and of course autographs and photo sessions afterwards. And after the show, that's when you can go into the fun house where you kind of led into this abandoned ticket booth, and there was seems to be monsters everywhere. It wasn't all, all super scary, but it was a lot of fun. There was a hall of mirrors, things like that. Like you said, it was very short-lived. It, it was there for the Halloween season. I think it may have only been there for one season. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, you know, the Goosebumps series at the time was the best-selling book series in history. Obviously now far overshadowed by things like Harry Potter. But ironically, in 2003, the R.L. Stein Haunted Lighthouse 4D show came to other theme parks in the country, including Bush Gardens, Tampa. So I don't know where the falling out may have come between Stein and Disney, but uh, like I said, Goosebumps kind of flew in and flew out pretty quickly. Our next email says, Lou, I'm a new listener to your podcast, but I've gone back and listened to all the previous episodes. I enjoy the show very much. The show has helped enlighten me to the conclusion that I am a Disney enthusiast. I've been to Walt Disney World well into the double digits, but now that I have a two-year-old, I found that I have seen the park in a different way. I agree with you 100%. Quick question about an earlier podcast. You'd mentioned that the hotels in downtown Disney were on Disney property. Do they also qualify for the extra magic hour at various parks? Thanks, Mike Zabko from Maryland. Mike, thank you. And uh, I believe that extra magic hours are available to all Walt Disney World guests, including the Swan and the Dolphin, Shades of Green, and only the Hilton at Downtown Disney, but not the other Downtown Disney hotels. If you are going to be staying at any of the Downtown Disney hotels, I will double check first, uh, but I do not believe that any of them other than the Hilton are eligible for extra magic hours. Heidi Meister writes in and says, Lou, thanks for a great podcast. My family and I have enjoyed catching up with your 2007 episodes the last two weeks. I really enjoyed hearing about the seven wonders of Walt Disney World. I had a question generally related to the animatronic segment. Has there ever been an animatronic of Walt Disney himself? Maybe even just talk of developing an animatronic Mr. Disney? Heidi, it's a, it's funny that you asked that question because many people have wondered why and even suggested that an animatronic of Walt Disney be created and placed in something like the American Adventure. Uh, I'm not sure if this is something that we'll ever see. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons why 
uh, Disney and its Imagineers have thought about not maybe placing an, an Walt Disney animatronic somewhere. But this is an interesting question. I'd like to know your thoughts. Um, it, you know, do you think we should or will ever see a Walt Disney animatronic figure? If so, where should he go? You know, should there be an attraction specifically about, should he go something like Walt Disney One Man's Dream? Should he, should he be in something like The American Adventure? Uh, call the voicemail, post on the message forums, weigh in and see. I would love to hear your opinion. Hey Lou, it's me, Jake. I got a question for you about which hotel opened first, the Polynesian or the Contemporary? I know they were open on the same day, but I can't figure out which one. Also, are the Swan and Dolphin hotels connected? Jake, thank you for the question. This is a question I get all the time because there has been a a longstanding rumor and or urban legend about both of the hotels opening on the same day, October 1st, 1971, with the Magic Kingdom. But one of the hotels opening a few hours after the other due to technical problems and the like. The real story is that, technically speaking, the Polynesian opened first as it housed guests and press the night before the Magic Kingdom opened. They had rushed literally, you know, to the 11th hour to get the hotel ready for special guests, VIPs, Disney employees, and the press. So technically, that hotel did open first. It did house quote-unquote, real guests before the contemporary. So if you had to pick one that opened first, it would definitely be the Polynesian. The Swan and Dolphin hotels are not directly connected, uh, but there is an uncovered walkway in between the two that kind of also leads you out over to the boardwalk. Will from Tallahassee writes and says, Hello, Lou. Love the podcast and wanted to say thank you for letting me know about the bush camp at the Animal Kingdom Lodge now being open to all guests. My daughter and I just got back from a weekend trip to my beloved Pop Century and had an awesome time. You see Mike Scopa there? Caitlin loved bush camp. She said all the cast members were great and kept her entertained during the three-hour camp, and she loved the food that was prepared for them, which surprised me because she's very picky. When I arrived back at the Simba Room to pick her up, she was playing the drum with a cast member, and I was impressed at the jam session. During Caitlin's class, I spent the time enjoying the awesome scenery around the pool and refreshment stand located right outside of Simba's room. Thanks again, Lou. Thanks, Will, for that kind of mini trip report and uh, bush camp review. I'm happy to hear that you were able to take advantage of it and that you and your daughter both enjoyed it. I am having tons of fun, which means time is flying by because, of course... Time flies when you are having fun. I am sorry that I did not get to all your emails again this week. I am trying to answer some via email. The rest of them I am going to answer on the show. I know I have a ton more of your emails and voicemails to get to. I promise that if you haven't heard from me as yet via email, I will definitely answer them on the show. I thank you for your emails and for being patient. Please keep your emails and voicemails coming. Email me anytime at lou at wdwradio.com with your questions, comments, suggestions, and feedback for the show. Call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. And as always, feel free to join in the fun and conversation about the show at the WDW Radio Forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. That's all the time we have for this week's show. I want to thank my very special guests, Steve Barrett, 
author of The Hidden Mickey's Guide and webmaster of hiddenmickeysguide.com and Jonathan Dichter from voiceofmousetunes.blogspot.com for coming on the show and listener Tim Sampson for his contributed segment. I also want to thank you, the listener, for your time and everybody else who's written or called in and posted on the forums in support of the show. Don't forget to visit the Magic for Less Travel for all of your Disney vacation planning needs and questions. Remember, their services are completely free. They have specially discounted Magic Away packages and offer exceptional customer service. Don't forget you can still come aboard and cruise with me on the Disney Magic as well as with Margaret Tinkerbell Carey, November 3rd through the 10th, 2007. Staterooms are booking fast, but we do have some very special things planned just for our group as well as a chance to win a $500 Disney gift card. For more information, head on over to WDW Radio and you can click on the link there. On upcoming shows, I have more interviews and special guests, as well as trivia, news, and trips aboard my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine as I continue in our Epcot retrospective with Jeff Pepper and other fun topics. We want to explore the next of the seven wonders of Walt Disney World, have more contests, interviews, best of the best, and so much more. Remember, if you have an idea for the show, let me know. And don't forget to visit some of the other friends of the show, including other podcasts, bloggers, and website. I have links to all these, as well as other things, on this week's show notes page, which you can get to right from wdwradio.com. There I also have more information, images, and links to other articles and sites about some of the topics we discussed on this week's show, so be sure and check it out. Also remember, as I said before, this show is meant to be interactive, so email me your questions, comments, or ideas to lou at wdwradio.com. Call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW with anything from trip reports, hellos from the parks, feedback, and more. Of course, come on by the forums at disneyworldtrivia.com to talk with other listeners and readers about the show. It's fun. It's free. We'd love for you to come by and be a member of what we consider to be the happiest forums on earth. Thank you again for tuning in, as well as all your kind reviews on iTunes. I really do appreciate it. They help out very much. I will see you all next week. Happy Earth Day and happy birthday, Disney's Animal Kingdom. See ya! Wow, Lou. I just got finished listening, almost finished. I had to stop and call the, to the... Uh, Sorry, I've forgotten the number. This is Wednesday the 18th. Uh, the show on Epcot, and the whole show was just jam-packed full of stuff, man. Great, great show. I'm going to have to go back and listen to the whole thing over. <clears throat> Appreciate the work. Enjoyed the conversation with you and Mr. Pepper. And Tim uh, Lawrenceville, Georgia, man, we, we, we listen to the show. We're, we're, we're fans. <laughs> we're big fans. Thanks for your hard work. Bye.